His trademark acerbic wit and astute observations populate the poems in A Riderless Horse, the latest collection by Palmerston North wordsmith Tim Upperton. Tim's two previous poetry collections were A House on Fire and The Night We Ate the Baby. He's a three-time winner of the Castleberg International Poetry Competition and he's both a creative writing teacher and landscape gardener. Most of the poems in A Riderless Horse have had an earlier life in a range of publications, but Tim's reworked them for this collection. He starts with a poem that he says came to him in a dream. Grace. All these people had come to an outdoor fair They were walking from one stall to another, inspecting the goods for sale, picking up a jar of quince jelly and holding it to the light, tipping it sideways to test the set, putting it down again. Everyone was eating instant noodles from disposable cups. In one hand, they held the cup, and in the other, they held a sachet of flavouring in a plastic fork. They were trying to sprinkle the flavouring on their noodles, but what with walking around in the fork and a light breeze blowing, most of the dry powder drifted away or fell to the ground. One man tore his sachet and shook it furiously, spilling its contents everywhere. I'd had enough. Stop, I shouted to the crowd, and a few looked my way. You're losing the flavouring. Make a funnel, I waved the paper serviette that came with the noodles with this. I quickly made a funnel, poured the flavouring onto the noodles. None was wasted. More people gathered around. Some fumbled with their flavour sachets, made funnels with their serviettes, but they made them wrong, and the flavouring missed their cups. I was losing them. They dispersed, diverted by the many other attractions, leaving a fine yellow cloud of noodle flavouring in the now still air like pollen, like grace, so available, nobody wanted it. Tim, I see that most of these poems have had an earlier life, so I'm assuming over the last eight or so years you've been writing these, publishing these. When you started to bring them together for this collection, did you see any themes that you had been consciously or unconsciously returning to writing about? In retrospect, maybe. At the time of writing them, I think they were discrete poems rather than linked by any kind of narrative or even a theme, perhaps. Uh, I just wanted to write good poems. But looking back, I do see some themes emerging, an interest in other places, a beach on the Suffolk coast, for example, there's Paris, Palmerston North, Topeka, Kansas, these different places in the world. So. I like poems that look outward as much as they look inward. Always there's a trap for us reading poetry when we see the I, that we are assuming this is your story. But it's certainly when I was reading uh, this, the true story for Ruth, I assume about your mum and her sister and their China dolls, a story you tell us at the end you'd never told before. These moments from your life, very rich stories, aren't they? Yes, uh, I teach creative writing sometimes at Massey University and sometimes my students will write poems or stories that are very dramatic, they're full of murders and violence or uh, exciting events. And um, I said, sometimes you can write something really small, like in that poem you mentioned, my mother snatches her sister's doll from her hands and smashes it. 
And uh, I tell my students that story, and there's always an intake of breath around the room. They're shocked that she did such a thing. And uh, I think sometimes small events are every bit as dramatic and surprising and interesting as much larger ones. Your sense of humour shines through, and it's... It's, it's sometimes acidic or acerbic, however you like to describe it, and sometimes delightful. And wild bees just cracked me up. You know, we love bees. As you say in the poem, who doesn't love bees? Who isn't worried for bees? But when they intrude in your home, they are a menace. they got to go. They do. And that, of course, is a, you can probably tell it did happen to me. I might have played up the story a little bit, but basically my home was invaded by bees. These wild bees and I'm a um, tree-hugging lefty, and I, I, I like bees. I love bees, but I do not love having them in my home. So um, sometimes nature is a little bit too too close. But I'm pleased you find them funny. I, I didn't set out to write funny poems, but perhaps if I did, they wouldn't be funny. Uh, so that's a, um, a bonus side effect, if you like. I, I guess it's witty maybe even more than funny. There's something about that word funny which is loaded, but it is witty. It's clever. It's the occasional word or the occasional phrase, which brings a lightness to the collection. But you've got some intense you know, material here too. You just come at it from your own perspective, you know, in your own way. Yeah, I guess poems are a bit like taking the scenic route rather than the main highway. You know, it's um, a, a rather indirect way of getting to the destination, but more interesting way as well. So... I try to approach my subjects in that oblique fashion rather than head-on. And I I think that's something a lot of poets do, actually. They're not so interested in the message as in engaging people. We talked before about place, and I'm going to come to the truth about Palmerston North uh, in a moment because it's a triumph of a poem. But Manawa too, also, you're writing about the river, and as you and I speak... You know, there's flooding down south, but there's been an awful lot of flooding up your way too. But the place of the river is so central to this part of the country. Well, it is, I guess. Uh, Palmerston North, where I live, is, you know, in a floodplain. Um, It was a swamp. And uh, it threatens to become a swamp again quite often. So uh, the river is something which is very present for people who live here. And... uh, I arrived back here, I hadn't lived here before, but I arrived back in 2004, and uh, within a month there was the worst flood of a century here, and uh, a lot of places were flooded and there were dead cars floating down the river. It was all very dramatic, and um, I did wonder what I had returned to for a little bit. So yeah, the river is central, I think, to Palmerston North. It's the heart of, heart of the Manawatu. One of the longer poems, The Truth About Palmerston North, just picking up from what we were talking about, Tim, and you've got this is after James Brown in terms of the poem, but you're really thinking about it. You know, the first line, people like to mock my town. And you come back to this word mocking throughout. And you take a, an unblemished look at Palmerston North, I feel, uh, the things that are worth giving it a hard time over, but also some of these beautiful aspects of it, which mean you do enjoy living there. Well, I do. I mean, Palmerston North I am very fond of, and it does hurt me when I hear people say um, uh, cruel things about it. And it's often people who um, are maybe, you know, fair-minded, socialist, decent people, 
And yet they suddenly get on their high horse when they're talking about somewhere like Hamilton or Palestine North. And uh, they look down their noses at us. And uh, nobody likes that. I, I don't like it. And living here, I do see a different side of it than perhaps somebody looking at Palmerston North from Wellington or Auckland. I am fond of it, and I suppose I wanted to defend it to some extent without idealising it or sentimentalising it. That's where I live, so um, I feel an allegiance to it. And have you had feedback from uh, locals about the poem? Uh, yeah, I, I had my book launch just the other night, and uh, I, I read that poem to an audience of Palmerston Northerners. It felt nice to me reading a poem about our town to fellow inhabitants. To other people, it might seem a bit quaint or um, comic even, and perhaps there are uh, comic elements in the poem. But I think the tone, a bit like James's poem, I think, is also affectionate towards the place. He's from here, and he writes as a local. You know, the, the refrain in his poem, I come from Palmerston North, he keeps repeating that. It's where his, um, uh, his home is, his heart is. You had a few heartbreakers for me, though, Tim, and one was Dead Pets, eight lines long, and a bit of language in there. But that made me really sad. And, and it's right next to a, a poem called Green Monkey Soap, where you're talking about the best toy you ever had and wishing you still had it. I do wish I still had that Green Monkey Soap. It's funny how some toys assume an almost talismanic significance when you look back to your childhood. And uh, that soap, it's right up there. But the pets, yes, our pets all came to sorry ends, as they do. They live shorter lives than us. The feelings we have about our pets, that they are family members. And when we're children, I think their losses mean a great deal to us. And um, reflecting on those losses, I realise there was a whole parade of them in my childhood, one after another. So um, by the time I'd finished that little parade, the poem was done. No comfort from your father. <laughs> he was very much a <laughs> get over it kind of well, thing. Well, he was an old old school dad. Yes, it was um, something to uh, not to dwell upon, I suppose. I was reading at the back that, as I mentioned before, many of these poems have had an earlier life, but in brackets and different versions. So have these been reworked? Yes, <laughs> in a word. I don't think there would be a single poem, even though most of them have been previously published. Uh, they've all been subjected to fairly substantial revision, uh, sometimes very substantial. I'm never very happy with my poems, even after they've been published. So that revision seems to carry on. And it stops when, when a book comes out, then I can move on to something new. I've got to ask you about Three Men in a Lift because this is a disconcertingly funny kind of poem, the ones that I, I really like. I'm laughing, but I'm feeling just a little bit anxious while I'm laughing at it. Uh, is this pure imagination? It is, actually. That poem is imagination. It was one of those what-if sort of poems. What if three men got stuck in a lift, you know, a lift jam, and then they find out that each of them has a father who has killed somebody? And I thought, what, what kind of conversation would they have? What would it sound like? And what are the odds of such a thing? So it started off with that sort of scenario. And um, I feel a bit uneasy about that poem myself. And uh, I wasn't even sure 
about including it in the book, but in the end, I thought after several revisions, that was that struck a tone that I was happy with. But yeah, it does tread a fine line, I think, that poem. And the end of my driveway, um, I thought this was delightful because it's after a series of photographs. Yes, it is. It was uh, commissioned by the school journal uh, to accompany an exhibition of photographs uh, that were taken at the end of a driveway of people, mostly children, heading, heading to school. And uh, the, the photos intrigued me and I wanted to write a poem that didn't so much illustrate them, I thought they did that for themselves, but maybe uh, offered another perspective or something that might run alongside the photographs uh, in, in the journal. So that, that one was, I mean, they're all fun to write. I, I enjoy writing poems very much. And uh, that one was particularly fun, maybe because it was aimed initially or originally at uh, school children. And I write quite a lot of school children or children's poems. And um, there's something about writing for that audience that um, it takes the heat off. You can just enjoy yourself. A Riderless Horse by Tim Upperton is published by Auckland University Press. 